Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Matt Colville's new D&D stream that he started, his D&D game, The Chain. We also talk about Lucian's game, where he killed a player, and I gave my party a wish spell. Hmm. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. I see lots of people in chat already, which is great. Yeah, so wonderful. So thank you guys for coming out. Um, Thank you for waking up early with us and watching Mm -hmm. uh, our silly D&D show that we do every weekend. (laughs) We've done every, almost every weekend. We've maybe missed, I think we counted them up, maybe three times total since we started. And then uh, I get messages from Lucian, who's like, by the way, I don't think I'm going to make it to the next yeah, Saturday because I've got next something week. going on. And I'm like, what? Now I got to like struggle. <laughs> ah. I'm lost without you, Lucian. The pressure's on you. Well, I mean, you've had some good guests on before, so I'm sure you'll be able to. Uh, yeah, I'll wrangle somebody up for next week or do a solo yeah. show or cancel the show. Those are my three options. And so we'll see what happens. <laughs> Those seem to be the three options. Yes. <laughs> um, the world of Dungeons and Dragons is kind of what we talk about on this show, as well as uh, various tabletop RPGs and things like that. Um the big news, I guess, this big. week was Matt Colville's Kickstarter live stream. He raised $2 million on Kickstarter. Yeah. And a lot of that was shipping. He always likes to point out that a lot of that is shipping costs for the book. Um, yeah. But they were still able to build the studio. Not build the studio. Well, build, I guess. They rented a space and they built the studio the in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they've got some like nice cameras and stuff. And he started his live stream on Wednesday, if I remember correctly. Correct. Um, really late for poor East Coasters. I felt bad. And he's PM. he's in uh, California, so yeah, it makes sense that he did it at the time that he did. But yeah, late late yeah. for East Coasters. But uh, did you watch it, Lucian? Did you have a good time? I did. I watched most of it live. Again, it was 10 o'clock uh, for me, and it yeah. was a work night. Um, so I watched up until about midnight-ish or right about their first break, and they did about another hour or so after that first break. So I got up the next morning to finish off the very end part just so I could watch it. It was on the VODs, so you can watch it on that. Um, and it was awesome. You know, it was professional. It was well done. And yet it wasn't actors. It wasn't um a production show, Mm -hmm. but they had a cool video at the beginning. Um, And we're not going to try to spoil. I think me and we were talking before the show. We we didn't really want to spoil it for you guys quite yet. Uh, So I'll try not to spoil. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to talk about the other thing without spoiling, but the overlays were good. The camera angles were decent. Uh, Well, we're really good for the group and they were playing around with looking at miniatures and looking at the map and putting the stuff down there. So that was kind of cool. And they were using like phones and stuff to move them around. Well, and so something I've never seen another, and granted, I don't watch a ton of live streams. I prefer my RPGs as podcasts to listen to because I can do that while I'm exercising or driving or something. Um, but uh, they had two streams going, which really yeah. surprised me that 
you could go to MCDM and watch the main channel. And then if you go to MCDM two, they had all of the little phone cameras and stuff. So you could get a more tactical view of the board mm -hmm. for the people that were interested in a more tactical view of the board, uh, which yeah. was super, was very like, I'm surprised nobody's thought of that before is yeah. what I, I almost was, was yeah. thinking about stealing it now because we do a lot of online games and a lot of times in our overlay switches, we're going from uh, character portraits and people that are on a, on a Zoom call, mm -hmm. but then you want to show roll 20, which is where all the tactical stuff is going. And you start to lose a lot of room if you're trying to shove all that in the same screen. But wow, couldn't you just have crew cameras in one stream and then tactical map and character sheets and all the other stuff in the other stream? And then people could just pick and choose or have both. I think there's programs that let you watch two streams at once side by side. And I thought, oh, that'd be really cool. Now I'm guessing that's a big hit on bandwidth, but oh, yeah. the cool thing they said about that one is the one that was the miniatures, they lowered the frame rate way down because there's not a lot of movement. Right. It's like my character's here and I'm done. You don't need, you know, 60 frames per second so that you can watch everybody's mouth move at the right time. Mm -hmm. voices. So you can go for a really low FPS stream. So then maybe because you're doing two of them, it doesn't kill your internet connection. Like we have, I mean, I've already got a couple of drop frames here or we're barely doing anything. So yeah. it's interesting. I like the idea that if you like a tactical game, you can watch the tactical part. Mm -hmm. If you love the characters and the interaction and the facial expressions, the surprise looks and the, 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 the angst over dice rolling, you get that with the camera. So it was really good. Their overlays look beautiful, which were, the same as how their book is. So if any of you have the book, it used the same borders and different colors and the whole medieval manuscript scheme that they were using. And I thought, wow, just really good. And then that's the presentation. And I felt like he kicks it off with a huge bang, which is very Matt Colville style. I think even I was listening to Jim Murphy talk about it. He's like, it's very Covillian to <laughs> start off with. And I think even his characters are saying, you just did the same thing you did in our last campaign, which was, you know, the, the enormous bad guy shows up and that's exactly how their campaign started. So it was just pretty funny to see um, that whole thing. And I loved it. I really loved all of it. I can't wait to see the next one. I like how he, uh, Skull Dixon kind of mentioned it. He's supporting it, not only the actual viewing of it, but then there's a lot of Twitter posts. There's a lot of articles that are on MCDM. They're going to do a lot of campaign diaries that you can keep up with. So if you don't want to watch the actual live nitty gritty, I did this on this round or that round, and you just want to get the, this is what happened in a, in a 10 minute read. Yeah. It sounds like they're going to be doing that kind of stuff. There was already a wiki up so you could go to a yeah, wiki. Yeah, that blew me away. And I was, and I guess it shouldn't blow me away because the community is so like pouncing on this, but yeah, there was a wiki already created and all the characters were, were typed out, not just the players, but a lot of the NPCs. And they're like, this NPC died in this episode, et cetera. And I was like, what you guys are, mm -hmm crazy but uh how exciting i don't i don't know yeah. for the, there, there's been a lot of people waiting for this stream and then chomping at the bit for it so it's kind of exciting that it's here yeah yeah well and it was a kickstarter me and you both kickstarted and we're excited about so now it's here so that's one excitement right it's matt colville which is one of the people that kind of inspired us to even do some of the things we're doing and th inspired this show for sure so excitement number two excitement number three he's doing a a game that is so black company, my favorite fantasy book series of all time that I've read probably more than 20 times, all the different series. I love Glenn Cook. 
the chain, which is the name of their campaign at this point, is basically black company. I'm like four. Ex- I'm like so excited, my head's gonna explode. <laughs> it's like everything I love. Like the I don't I don't know what else they could add into this, except maybe if he got like a cast member of like uh, you know actors I like or something like The Rock or just like crazy over the top you know, people, Chris Pine or, or, you know, all, you know, all the Avengers are in there somehow. The only other thing I love superheroes somehow gets slammed into this because it's everything I seem to like um, that he's doing. So it's really cool. And I'm a big fan. So I'm going to be one of those big, big fanboys who thinks nothing's wrong. Nothing looks bad. Everything looks perfect. So you'll never be able to trust me on uh, a review of any of this stuff. Cause I'm just going to be full in on it. I'm, I'm over the top. So no, and it was fun. I, I especially, and this this just feels like a Coville thing, and it, it kills me because I'm like, oh, those are some great character names. But the character names as titles and character names. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> you have like Judge, and now I'm spacing Commander, uh, King. They all had um, these titles as names, and I really mm-hmm. liked that. I thought that was really creative, and it made like, I'm like, oh, like Copper, I think was one. Yeah, um, The Ranger. And Nails. I like the idea. Like now, I'm like, well, now I want to start like an assassin named Knives or something. Like I yeah, just love sweet. that that noun for a name kind of a thing. Uh, <laughs> Very black company. Very, when you come into it, the black company, there's a name that you would go by, and it's usually just something kind of like there's Goblin or One Eye or you know these different things. And it's 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 funny because you leave your past behind when you join the black company. And in the black company, they even say, "Tell us everything." from your past because they got to make sure that whatever's in your past doesn't affect the company. Mm-hmm. And so before you can join, you have to tell them everything, everything you've done, every criminal act, every reason you're running, why are you even joining this thing? Cause they don't want your baggage to come back and mess with the company. And he's doing the same thing in that with the chain. Like that's how they set that whole thing up. So they have, like you said, these really just strong single word names, nails, judge, copper, um, sweet, commander we even get his name he was just commander mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh i think that was the five right there were five of them six of them mm-hmm. i'm trying to remember now but it was really good um boots there was somebody named boots or, or yeah. something if i remember somebody yeah. has a displacer beast as, uh, not only do we get that we get two new character classes one mm-hmm. pugilist that came from um either dm's guild or it came from rpg now just somebody that had made and he allowed one of his characters to play it which was cool super cool character art but then he created the ill rigger which you can find now out there and he's completely said this has not been tested or balanced or anything we're just trying it out we'll make adjustments when we play mm-hmm. but there's an ill rigger which is basically like a paladin of asmodeus i think is what it is so some type of variant on paladin um and then we get some regular um, classes that we might know, but then we also get a modified ranger class. Almost yeah. they're calling it the 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 monster tamer. I think is almost what he was. Call- it was almost like a mm-hmm. a subclass of ranger in a way because he wanted his player to really have fun uh, playing that thing. So no, it, was, it, was, it was really interesting, and I I like. I like the Beastmaster Ranger a lot, and it is it does need some love, and it needs some fixing. And I think the fixes that Wizards of the Coast did for it were good, but didn't push it right into the right, or didn't didn't fix everything. Um, and so Colville kind of took this, and he was like, well, I'm going to make this Ranger, and we're going to do this. And it was really interesting, because he invented new, like, whether it's good or bad, we'll see during the playtest as, as this guy plays this Ranger. Um, yeah. Because there were a lot of people, especially on Reddit, that were just like, well, this isn't balanced and this isn't good. And and I'm like, well, 
it's a refined for a refining process and i don't know so that's kind of how i felt about it but uh there were some new mechanics like like you basically gaining marks on an on a monster so you could do perception checks or you can do like certain bonus action items that would stack marks on a monster allowing you to do more damage to a particular monster and you could lose those as you as you hit so when you hit you would lose the two marks but it would do an extra 2d8 damage or something i'm making this up because i don't have it in front of me um so don't hold me to that but uh, it was that mechanic that was new that I'm like, oh, like that's kind of what the ranger f- needed, I think. Not mm-hmm. like let's make it more like a paladin or let's make it more like this. Like the, th- rather than borrowing from other classes, it needed its own little like mechanic. I keep saying mechanic because I don't have a yeah. better word. But <laughs> and I feel like he adjusted the interaction between the ranger and the pet enough that the player was going to like it a little bit more than the way as rules as written was. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a sticking point for some people because I think he even said somewhere in there, I don't know if it was on a Twitter or it was another message where he said his player came to him and he was kind of frustrated with reading how the Ranger rules work with the pet. And that's when he decided, well, let's just come up with something that's going to be fun for you because I want you to have fun playing this character. And that's, you know, so I feel like there was some interaction that they were, they're going to, that we'll see that we didn't necessarily get to see in this first fight. um, But maybe we get to see you know, later on in the rest of the campaign. So it's, mm-hmm. it's hard because I want to talk about every single little each detail, but we don't really want to spoil it for those that haven't got to see it yet. Though, if you're watching a lot of my channel, you're only going to get about a week, maybe a week and a half before I go full spoiler heavy and just talk about the entire thing from top to bottom because I just have to talk about it. It was so good. And there was so much that it made my mind think about that I got to start talking about. So you're going to see some more stuff from me for sure because I, I have to talk about what's going on in it, what I liked, and some of the things I took away from it and just cool things, you know, just stuff. I yeah, well, I think like I think for this episode, we won't spoil it. Maybe yeah. in two weeks, we'll kind of recover episode one and just kind of talk about, like, our feelings or whatever. Um, but you're right. Like, it was the same thing when Critical Role came out with their season two we we did the same thing where it's like we kind of want to talk about it but at the same time i don't feel like we should so yeah. um how many viewers did he have i think it was like 10 how, 10 12,000 something like that live yeah. when they were in the very first 5 to 10 minutes of the show but i didn't check the numbers after that yeah so it was 5 to 10 minutes in they started about 10 or 15 minutes late i think or maybe 7 or 8 minutes late but there's a lot of good interaction. His community right now is huge. I say his because we're part of it, us, us, the community. We were in chat. It was flying by so fast. Everybody was super hyped. You could feel the energy. They did a really cool thing, the pre-show, which I've always wondered if we should do on this show. I've thought about it, and I haven't done it. But the idea of showing the cameras but muted so you can see us sitting here getting stuff ready, doing oh. stuff, whatever. And then when the show goes live, it actually you know pops in. And that's Maybe what they if did. we had another camera behind us. Yeah. So you could see the workstation and all of us getting, yeah. That so. would be really good. Yeah. So I, I like that idea. And then boom, it kicks off and we're seeing 10,000 people like, t- you know, 10, five, something like that. And then I think it probably trails off through the night after that, but man, it was good. And it'll be interesting to see if it, if it's just a first show, because even like when I do shows or, or I'm, I'm guessing when you do shows, first episode always hits pretty big always gets a much bigger audience than the other follow-on videos. Mm-hmm. And they kind of level out after a while if you're doing a series of them, um, as far as live plays and things like that that I've seen. 
So I wonder if, is that a spike? And then it just kind of smooths out to like, maybe there's going to be a nice big crowd of two, three, 4,000, or is it going to build hype? And it's going to start going up like Critical Role did originally? Because they started out in that very first show. It wasn't 100,000 people watching live. It was maybe four or 5,000 big, but not not like crazy big. Word of mouth started spreading and that thing just started skyrocketing yeah. up. Yeah, I don't know. It could go both ways. It could uh, it could either Matt go Mercer higher, but chat. yeah. Oh, he was, was he? There. Cool. He was typing in chat. Yeah, oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, so it was cool. So I just super excited and um, it was so good. And it came after, we're going to talk about it when, once we get to the other parts of what we did this week, but it came after such a good, exciting, crazy night of Tuesday night game for me and my campaign. Wrap it up with a super crazy, fun, awesome Wednesday night. It just felt like D&D this week was just off the charts. For good. Me. It was just so good. Yeah. Um, and I guess I want to ask you this question, but I don't know if you can answer it. Because uh, we were talking before the stream starts that you really feel like Matt's DMing style was the type that you like to watch. Yeah. Um, can we talk about that with spoilers? Or is I think that... we can, because we don't have to talk about what happened in the like session. what i guess that's what i wanted around. to ask you what about matt's dming style was you were you so drawn to that you're yeah. just like so, oh this is this is the game for me you know kind of a thing what is really good is he he opens the show up and he they they do a, a quick character introduction but nothing crazy not like a lot of these other shows you see these days where it's huge backstories are unrolled or there's huge unveiling of characters and this there's these huge monologues that get written right at the very beginning of the show it was just like hey here's this thing your characters are here what do you guys do and he just kind of sat back and waited for them to do their thing and he's like this is on you guys this isn't on me so there was no like 25 page start to the world you know he didn't start talking about what's going on he didn't start talking about where they were none of this stuff it was just like we're in the game we're mm -hmm. just playing your group is doing let's do this um, I like that. There wasn't a lot of over explanation of the scene, which meant it left it up to you to imagine more of what was going on and not have to pay rapidly attention to somebody who's written out, you know, a, a clear several paragraph thing when they read, okay, you've walked in this room and now for the next five minutes, they talk about the room and all this, the mood and the stuff. It's almost like they're trying to set too much of it for you and not leaving enough up to your own imagination. So I really liked that. And he jumped in, he let the characters do what they did. He nudged them in places. There was jokes going on and he was laughing. He has great facial expressions mm -hmm. when he hears the players um, trying to figure out what's going on because a lot of times they're trying to figure out what, what should we do? What should my character do? What's the right thing to do just because we're playing a game and we want to win? And what do we think Matt wants us to do? Yeah, so there's like those three things that are going on. And if you watch his facial expression when they're trying to work things out, it's super funny. He probably can't play poker because you'll know the minute he has an ace or whatever because he's just, yeah, he's just like, oh, they're, they're doing this or that. And, uh, so it was super funny. Um, combat was visceral, not over-explained. It was big. It was bombastic. It felt like the start of a movie or a book where it was, here's a big scene. Now let's flash back to how this happened. Or here's a big scene. Now let's slow it down and really see how this is actually going to come out. Because he just throws like, you know, it's like shock and awe right in the beginning and then go, oh, okay. 
So that's what I liked about it. I love that the, that was the kickoff to it. Um, he has good voices for a couple of the characters and they weren't overly done. Um, I think that's what I liked about it. I think it was yeah. just really good. And it felt like the game I run at my table now. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I watch and I love Critical Role, I cannot do a Critical Role game. I can't run a game like Matt runs a game. There's no way I can do it. I'm not that good at um, the dialogue with characters. I'm not that good with different voices. I'm not that good with thinking on my feet when the players are asking me questions to make it sound like it's this really kooky character that's answering. I have to think too long of the right and proper answer. And his show is more more, more story-driven than I think mine is. Mine's more, you guys are in this situation let's combat this out and see how you survive it. Mm-hmm. It's more survival in my campaign than it is, you know, this long running thread of five books that are, you know, um, a big spanning Lord of the Rings story, you know, that type of thing. So I was really or surprised. Even, oh, go ahead. go ahead. Or even like Chris Perkins, Chris Perkins does a great job. I love his games. I can't do his game. Mm-hmm. He's just really good at that style. And I, that's not my style that I can do, but I feel like I can get close to the Matt Coville style. That's the style I can do. I was really yeah. curious about them starting at level five, especially when he had uh, one of the Toms, I think had never played D and D before. And to throw them in at level five was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. Like, why not? Why not level two? I guess um, mm-hmm. if you don't want to start at level one, I understand level one's kind of a death trap. But like, start at level two and kind of let him figure it out. But if you watch the show, I guess it makes sense. The the opening he wanted to do, they they needed to be able to survive, so they yeah. needed to be like a little higher level. And I was telling some of my friends and players that I I like games that start at level five, but it's because I'm experienced. And so I'm like, I want to get to the meat and potatoes of my character. And that feels like level five. Um, mm-hmm. When things start synergizing, you get extra attack, things like that kind of like just kind of work out. You get, uh, I don't know if you get third level spells at level five, but you get spells, etc. cetera. Uh, what do you think? Should they have been an, or started at an earlier level or was five okay or... Yeah, as it was going, I thought, well, five was perfect only because they had to be the officers of the company. So oh, okay. I, I felt like they had to be more badass than the troops they were leading for the most part, because that's kind of the, the way it felt. So to me, it felt like they had to be higher than the first and second level troops that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really felt he was building up to a TPK and then was going to do a flashback maybe to when these guys are lower and as they work their way up the ranks, I thought, Oh, that'd be kind of cool. So we get this idea of almost like in a movie, you, you get the big, here's where we're at, but now let's find out how we got there. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't really trying to do that. And I don't even think he decided it didn't feel like any of that happened. It just, it was a big battle stuff happened. And then they had to figure out what to do. And I think it was a, a good set piece for knowing how dangerous the world is, how, um, how big things are, mm-hmm. how big the bad guys really can be and get, because you need to know that right away so that they're not surprised later on. Like the, at this point, if you've watched that episode, you realize that whoever's going to try to take on the big bad of the campaign, you're going to need a lot. Mm-hmm. This is not like some small thing and it's going to take a lot, or you just need to run to a whole different continent, which is what black company was black company was they, in the very start of the book, without even spoiling the book, because everybody should go read this book by Glenn Cook, it's basically they get a job, 
they start fighting and get involved in something that's way bigger than they are and they should not be involved in it. It's going to wipe them out because now they've stumbled into this and should not be there. And so instead of doing that, they just get on a boat and they sail across the ocean to get the hell out of Dodge. And they're just like, we're leaving that behind. We're not doing that. We're going over here. And then they become the mercenary group over here and do stuff, which finally leads them back to the big bad guy that they, so it's almost like this really good arc that is so black company. It's funny. It'll be interesting to see where he takes it. A criticism might be not for me, who was a big fan and watched all of the previous campaign diaries he did for his first campaign, but there was a lot of talk. And if I was a player at the table who was new, I would have been kind of a little like, what are you guys talking about? Cause they kept referencing, Oh, this happened in the first campaign we played. Lady Serio came from the first campaign. The big bad guy came from the first campaign. And they kept saying that. And I kept watching the new guy who was like, well, I wasn't in the first campaign. So everybody just stopped talking about first campaign. None of us were in that, right? But they're mm -hmm. all like, there was like people that had insights. Oh yeah, this happened in the first, those swords are from the first campaign. This is this. And so I wonder if the, the newer person was a little put off from that because now that makes you feel like you're not, a part of the group i wasn't in the first campaign mm -hmm. so now i'm not really a part of what you guys are you know and so there's it'll take time for them to to gel but i thought it was good yeah uh, that was fun no it was really fun um i had uh jump changing gears talking about something no. different um the, the i was thinking a lot about the new wizards of the coast book that's coming out mm -hmm. the the seafaring one that we don't have a title for um and I was going through my my Forgotten Realms history, and uh, I came across, not came across, but anyway, I rediscovered uh, the island of Lantan, which is like a gnome uh, engineering island off the coast of the Sword Coast that has uh, smoke powder and magical things um they kind of create a lot of inventions with gnomes and it got me thinking that i wonder if the new book and so basically i wanted to say this is my prediction for the new book is that we're gonna see the artificer in this new book because they're going to tie it somehow to the open seas and this island of lantan where the gnomes are where there are artificer gnomes on this this island um and so I wanted to say that out loud. And then in uh, a couple months, we can come back to this video and be like, Jordan, you were completely wrong or you were completely yeah. right. And I'll give myself a gold star if I was right. <laughs> Nostr Nostradamus. Well, and, and didn't you even mention, it must have been in a Twitter I saw earlier this week because Chris Perkins played, shows up on Critical Role out of the blue. Oh, and that was the other thing I want to talk about. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I'm behind on Critical it. Role, but I was watching Twitter yeah. and I'm just like, what? Like Chris Perkins just showed up for a live episode. So that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, and he was playing a, uh, what was it? From the art, I want to say it was a kobold, but I haven't watched it yet, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet about it and it was like a kobold something. It obviously didn't last very long, but I remember your tweet saying, is this a hint towards the artificer that we're getting the artificer? And we know that the um, the article, the Unearthed Arcana article should be out. They said it, normally it's the second um, Tuesday of the month, but he said this one might be later and he'll let us know. And I'm talking about Jeremy. Crawford. Mm -hmm. um, so we should see it next, not this Tuesday coming up, but the one after that, or the one after that. So within, you know, within three Tuesdays, we should be seeing the new class as presented, which I think is, then we'll already have the announcement of what the next book is, or right at that same time, 
we're going to have the new announcement. So we're going to find out, yeah, like you said, is it going to be, are we going to Lantan? Are we going to somewhere not Sword Coast or Sword Coast adjacent at this point? Mm -hmm. Because Cholt isn't that far from Sword Coast. That's still on that west side of the the whole continent. But there's this whole eastern side of the continent that has a huge amount of lore, which you can all go see. It's this really cool channel called Forgotten Realms Explained. It's really good. The guy knows really what he's talking about. Although he doesn't cover Al-Kadim, and that's like everybody's favorite Zakara in the desert. Yeah, why not? Or Revenor. Come on. Yeah. Why is he not putting out eight videos a week? That's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah. He's lazy, but we'll we'll (laughs) let no so there's really good videos out there and and it's all reminded us you've kept it in our radar that there's other cool lands here the inner sea the the um all of the areas that were where el minister hangs out you know all the different dales and stuff which there's a lot of books written on that stuff not just the ed greenwood sword coast area but you know all these other writers that have worked on these other places myth drainar and you know, just like you said, Lantan, or we can go out to Azteca, or we can go down to, you know, all these different places. Are we going to get that now? Even though on this show, you've heard us ask for things like Dark Sun and Spelljammer. And like, mm. so we make the same kind of demands um, that, that sometimes we hear from fans is, hey, why aren't you guys doing these eight campaigns all at once? Why don't we have eight books on all the different Dark Sun and, you know, all this stuff? Because we want it all and we want it now. I think we're all just Queen fans. And we love the song. We just wait. I want it all, and I want it now. Is basically how we're I was. I was watching. Yeah, Cormier. Yeah, I was watching uh, Sly Flourish's live stream a couple weeks ago. He does one on Sunday mornings, I think, where he just kind of talks about DMing and, and prepping for his game. And he made a really good case where he's just like, we don't need a fifth edition Spelljammer. We don't need a fifth edition Dark Sun. We don't like nobody needs this because. It's so easy, especially for an experienced DM. Like it might be a little bit of work if you're not experienced, but if you are an experienced DM, you're the ones that are interested in Dark Sun and Spelljammer and stuff. It's it's not like a new person to the hobby that's trying to pick up Dark Sun and make it work. And he's like, you can, you can uh, uh, throw like throw those into a fifth edition game with like minimal changes on the fly mm-hmm. if you really want to like you could open a dark sun adventure and be like oh the ac of this monster is this i just have to like reverse it because of of uh, ascending ac ex- uh, in in contrast to descending ac and then make it work and and you make the monster work uh and so i really like that i was like i think that's one of the reasons that they're not coming out with a lot of fifth edition like like we're going to make you here's fifth edition dark sun and here's fifth edition yeah. Spelljammer because those books still are relevant and you yeah. can pick them up on drive through RPG and yeah. with minimal effort, you can make it work. If you really want to have a dark sun campaign, yeah, the lore doesn't need its own edition yes. for the most part, unless you do like the cataclysm and then that wrecks everything that you've talked about. But fifth edition hasn't done that. Fifth edition says, no, all that lore is still there. None of that yeah. has changed. It's the rules that have changed, but not the lore. And the, our friends from the web dm show said the same thing they did their big video this week on ravnica and mm-hmm. jim was really talking about this is the book that we need these are the types of books because it's new content that we haven't had before about new places we didn't know a lot about because if i want to play dark sun i can just go grab the dark sun book all that stuff in there still works except for stat blocks you know or yeah. maybe some class stuff but even that can be made to work when you're, you know, as a DM or a Well, GM. and that was Sly Flourish's whole point. Like, you could yeah. look at, you know, here's a Thrycreen and just 
like give it an extra two strength and all of a sudden it fits in your world and that's all it needed was like minimal changes and you do that in your head you look at the stat block and you're just like oh and i'm reading maze of the blue medusa right now which we'll get into a little bit later but that has uh that's a system neutral campaign um and it's got all of these like system neutral stat blocks that are kind of like here's how you make this work for any campaign um, or for any system, like 5th edition, DCC, 3rd uh, edition, 2nd edition, AD&D, like you could do, you can make it work really easy. And so once you start understanding like how monsters work, I don't know. And I was doing the same thing when I was going to send my my players to space. I was all excited for Spelljammer and I was like, oh, this is not that difficult. I just have to create a couple of ships and make the ships have some AC and give them some hit points. And all of a sudden I've made second edition stuff work with yeah. fifth edition. And there's fifth edition rules for that now, at least test rules because yeah. we have the ships rules yeah. at this point. Yeah. So, and plus a whole slew ventures. of people that are fans of Spelljammer that have updated and made fifth edition stuff. So yeah. I don't know. It, it was really interesting. Sly Flourish, uh, Mike Shea, he's really smart guy, obviously. And I like his stuff. So I wanted to point that out. I <laughs> like in uh, chat right now, they're, they're, it always comes up when is sixth edition coming out for DD? Yeah. And a lot of people are saying, you know, next few years, because it, it has a lifespan of somewhere around 10 to 15 years before they do their next edition most of the time or something like that. But I wonder if they're not leaning towards, I'm starting to think that they're leaning more towards like what a lot of software companies do. Microsoft has been trying to do this. Those companies, Apple, Microsoft, and them want to get away from naming stuff Apple One, Apple Two, Apple Three, Apple Four. Office they 2003, just, they, well, they Office 2007. Is, it's Office, <laughs> yeah. or it's Apple, or it's this. So I wonder if D&D takes that now and just says, you know what? We don't need any more new additions. All we do is just put out content for the game that we play. And if it needs a new class, then they put out a new class. Because it doesn't really need any new rules. Like, we don't need a new set of traveling rules. We don't need a new set of skill check rules. We don't need any, that stuff all works and is fine. There's nothing, you know, archaic about it. It just, it works fine. All we need now is content, right? More to consume, more stories to tell, more different ways to tell them. So all they ever have to add is lore, maybe classes and subclasses and races. And you can just keep going on and on and on fifth edition forever at that point. You don't even need to change anything. So I wonder if they go to that where it's just becomes Dungeons and Dragons and it's not any edition. It's just, this is Dungeons and Dragons. Like they've tried to do with a lot of other things. I remember uh, Mike Merle saying during the D and D next play test that he really wanted to call it like, we don't want to call it fifth edition. We want it to just be called Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and Dungeons so, and Dragons now. Yeah. Or, yeah, like, yeah, or something. yeah. So rather than trying to be like, here's the latest edition, just be like, well, no, this is what Dungeons and Dragons is now. It's, yeah, it's 3.5, 4, 4.5, yeah. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Although there was some tweet by somebody who was like, when sixth edition comes out. And I think Chris Perkins was like, oh, we're going to skip sixth, seventh, and eighth and go straight to ninth edition. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, that's it's like Windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Skip every other because it's always that, that good <laughs> the odds are always the good ones everybody, everybody says so it'll be interesting we'll have to see it doesn't matter because we all win if we get more fifth edition we win if they give us a sixth edition in two years we win you know it's like it's all good no matter what happens yeah we'll see what they do so and speaking of fifth edition uh yes. mr lucian what did you do in get you were really excited for games this week you said it was a good week it What's was going a good on? week. I killed a player. Oh. So, you know, the excitement <laughs> that gives a dungeon master is so good. Um, no, it was, I had a really good um, Seeking Revenor session. We played on Tuesday night. 
because I wanted to clear my schedule so I could watch the Wednesday night stream. And I had a bunch of stuff work related on Thursday. So I didn't want to like I in my regular job, I train software. So typically I have clients sign in and we work for several hours and it's me talking and them following along. So over a span of a day, if I'm talking for six hours, my voice starts to go. And I look at that, like on Thursday, I have all these trainings and I'm thinking, do I really want to run D&D as the dungeon master? Then I have to talk then too. And I'm just like, no. So I decided Tuesday night, which was really good. We got a group together. We went out. It was a tough encounter. It was an encounter that um, is a kind of a monastery and there are some things going on that have some story elements and there's creatures all throughout this thing, all throughout the monastery. Well, one of the things I've been trying to embed in my players is consequences. There are consequences to your actions. And for whatever reason, I have the thunder wave happy group right now. So every time we get in a fight, it's thunder wave, thunder wave, thunder wave, thunder wave, thunder wave. And they're just going off like, you know, like it's a war zone and a booming sound. So when they do that, I bring everything that is around and can hear that in on them. And so many times this has nearly killed them because they're just letting these spells off with no consideration for, wait a minute, we're bringing everything to us, right? And so it happened again. So they're they're just boom, boom, boom. It's like three of them in a row. Like this round I do um, uh, Thunder Wave. Round two, Thunder Wave again. I'm going to put it in this spot. Okay, round three, Thunder Wave again. I'm using another spell slot. I'm just like, it's over and over and over. And they brought too much to them. The fight gets out of hand. And there's a point where it's clear they should run mm-hmm. if they want to make it out. But I'm also thinking... Well, the way they're talking, they're like, no, we don't run. We don't leave nobody behind. And we're going to fight this. This is evil. We can't leave it. I'm thinking, man, if they stay, this is it. This is, And I'm thinking as the session's going on, this is it. This is TPK night. Here it goes. This is it. <laughs> and player Paladin goes down. Um, they get him back up. Paladin goes down again, starts making death saves. Ranger goes down, starts making death saves. Druid goes down, starts making death saves. The last two players are like, that's it. We're, we're out. We're gone. Uh, so they take off running. And so we're down to two players are running. Everything's chasing after them out into the snow. Um, and the one player, the druid, it, it's going to be three players die. We get a roll of a 20 on a death save. And he pops back up with one hit point. He's able to save one of the other guys, but the paladin rolled a one on the death save to lose two of them. And then the next roll, he rolls under, I think he rolls an eight. And we have our first actual true, I had nothing to do with it except, um, you know, the creature that killed him, obviously. But but he rolled the death saves. It wasn't me rolling death saves. It wasn't me just taking that away from him. He failed three death saves and out, game over. Um, so the party is just like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And it brought... It's funny because the player is my best friend for many, many, many years. So all of a sudden anxiety hits about, wait a minute, how is a player going to take death? Because we've talked about this where players dying unexpectedly, those are that's the type of thing that happens that stops campaigns, can stop a friendship. You will hear stories of people being mad at each other over something like that, and then they don't play Dungeons & Dragons anymore. They just, they're just like, they're not interested. And I was like, oh my God, is this this moment? 
and uh, it didn't turn out that way, but it was just like, oh, this this is really scary for a second year because we've had our first death. Revenar's taken a character from us. Um, a character has died. There's options for bringing him back, but they didn't have a chance to bring the body back, so they left him. And they could have done it. And that what they realized later on is the end of the session is they, they take off running. And then by the end of the day, uh, or the into the next day, because in the Revenor session, there's something that's going on that I wanted to point out that was really good. We're having really good play sessions. Mm-hmm. But the Discord, after a session and the days between sessions, lights up with the players role-playing in the tavern and talking about what's going on and talking about how their characters feel and think about things. So there's this huge amount of role-playing going on in between sessions. So the session ends, and then that kind of thing kicks off the next morning, and the guy's like, oh, my God, why did I not shape change into a horse so that we could drag the body up? Because they kept thinking, (laughs) I have nine strength. I can't pick him up. He's a furbog. I can't pick him up. I can't pick him up. His brain wouldn't let go of that, so they left the body. They left his friend. So now he's, like, beating himself up, like, what? what are we doing? So they're getting them all, you know, ready to go back. They want to go back and get the bodies of their friends. And there's just this whole thing going on. And it amazes me in this campaign that I've had in that has not happened in any other campaign is that there's so much RP going on outside of the session. It's really good. Like if you, if you were on our discord, just reading through all the stuff, the characters are doing, we call it the lovely coin channel and it's when the characters are sitting in the tavern and they're musing about something or thinking about something. We've got characters that are thinking about their their interaction with their gods that they've pledged themselves to. We've got characters that are down on themselves for the actions that they did and how they were cowards. We've got characters thinking about they want to build shrines or keeps or temples. And all this stuff happens in the Discord and it's not necessarily in the session. So if you just watch the sessions, you might not catch all of that me and the players that are all involved in this sitting back and getting all of it at once has turned it into a really cool story that's unfolding that I've never had happen in any of the other things. So Discord has added something to our game that I haven't had. And I want to recommend to everybody, whether you're running a game at home, whether you're running it through Roll20, Mm. whatever your campaign is, create a Discord channel. Create a channel that is for the characters to talk in character amongst each other and let the players just go wild with the stuff they come up with because it's been really good and it's added a lot of depth to our campaign that we might not have had. Um, I, I recommend people just, I mean, half the people in our list here are people that are on that Discord and have read that stuff and they're writing it. Mudamol, uh, Skull, all these guys are writing stuff in there that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Greybeard has written a bunch of stuff in there. Um, it's so good about their characters. And I just feel like it's adding something to the game um, that is super cool that you might not be adding to your game and maybe you want to try. Yeah, no, I I think like keeping your mindset of the game throughout the week is kind of interesting and being able to say like, oh, this popped into my head. I want to talk about it and things like that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and even the week before, we didn't get to talk about the week before games, which went really well because we had our awesome guest last week. So if you missed that, Go back and check out that video because we had Jim Davis on and we talked about all things Dungeons and Dragons with Jim Davis from WebDM. But that week before that, we also had one of our characters at the very end of the session completely off the rails. They were 
exploring a barrow and there had been some weird ritual that happened there. It was some story element art for their characters. And the one character decides, he's a shatter Kai, decides to go back in the borrow, and he wants to sit down in the middle of the borrow. There's a pit in there, and he's going to start saying prayers to the, uh, to, um, uh, the Raven Queen. And on the spur of the moment, I think, okay, all right. So I type in, as he does that, I type, a, I whisper into him, and I say, you disappear do not talk to the players for the rest of the, the session. And he gives me this big smile on camera that I'm watching during the session. You can see when this happens. And they're like, okay, guys, it's the end of the session. We're ready to go. Somebody go get Iravel out of the borrow. And one of the, I'm watching the guy use his icon because we have dynamic lighting. So they have to move their icon around to try to find. He goes through the whole borrow. He's like, Iravel? Iravel? And, and everybody's like, Iravel? And Iravel's on the camera, but he's not talking. And they're like, I can't find him, guys. So then the whole group comes back in. Well, he's disappeared. So over this week, we had a one-on-one -on -one session with Iravel. And I'm like, okay, you're in the Shadowfell. You kept mentioning the name of the Raven Queen. She's now in front of you. You got what you wish for. Now what? You mm -hmm. know, this person you're asking for is in front of you. She may or may not be happy with you, or she may or may not even like you, <laughs> but now you've got it. So we've got to play a one-on-one -on -one session. And what was cool, to tie this back to the Discord, is that he's kept quiet this whole couple of weeks in the Discord because everybody thinks he's gone and missing and nobody knows where he's at. So the Discord leading up to that has been about how the characters have taken the missing Iravel, one of the great characters in our campaign, and how they react to that, how each one copes with that. They had to leave him behind because they couldn't find him. How long did they stay? They searched for hours. They stay a day in case he comes back, nothing happens, and then mm -hmm. they have to leave him. So they all struggle with this, we left somebody behind, what's going on? Then this week, we have a character killed, left behind. So it's just like this theme came out of nowhere, not planned at all, and has just really thrown some really cool wrenches into the campaign. We had it, now Iravel comes back two days after the debacle. I tie in some stuff. The Raven Queen gives him some information about what's happened to the Paladin, but he doesn't know who it is. Mm -hmm. And so now he comes back and we have this whole thing about all the players telling him what's happened. Now, what are they going to do about it? And all this new information. It's just been so good to see these little threads come together. So it's really cool. It's been a really good, fantastic couple of weeks in the campaign. Sounds awesome. And anybody can play in it. Every one of our fans out there that said, hey, I'd want to play in it, they've been able to come over, make a character, join an expedition if they have the time and can meet the schedule, and we can do it. And I'm starting to think I need more scheduled games. So I'm starting to think to take the leap of asking for, does somebody want to be a co-DM mm -hmm. in a massive living campaign? I know we've talked about this a little bit before, what goes into that because that's something i've never tried either but what happens when we have one campaign world bunches of groups going on and we have dms working together to give all these different groups uh chances to play and work together and affect the world all mm -hmm. at once so i, I want to tackle it but it's a lot of work like this is the most work i've had to do in any campaign i've had to set up ever so it's a ton of work if you're going to try it it's a lot of reading to if another DM runs a game, you're going to have to either watch it or get a recap. And it's just a lot to keep up with too, so that you know yeah. what's going on in the world. Yeah. But it's a lot. It yeah. could be yeah. really so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I've got some people that have said they were interested. I think it comes down to logistics if we can do it. Cause like you said, staying on timelines, 
keeping the game in the same kind of genre of game I want to run, but also giving them the lead way to be the DM they want to be also, right? Because I want to, they, if I do it, they've got to have some freedom to make up some of the stuff. Because I make up stuff on the fly all the time. It's not that this West Marches, every single thing is already predestined, just like your uh, Hot Springs Island. It's mm -hmm. There's a lot of random rules stuff going on. So they're going to have that process too. And their storyline has to fit in with my storyline and how do we communicate that and how do we keep that? I think we can do it. It just takes work and it takes, you know, um, the will to do and put in the time to do it mm. to make this grand campaign. So we'll see. I'm, I'm getting close. Um, other than that, I'm still working on the RPG a month thing. We're going to do a final session on Sunday, even though we are in February, but we're going to do our final one last session of part-time gods and then because February only has four, I think it's four Sundays, but we're going to use one of them for the game we just played. So I'm only going to get three. I'm picking um, a one-page RPG for the month of February. So it'll be very easy for us to make super simple characters and get two good full sessions out of playing a very simple RPG versus picking, hey, let's play Pathfinder next. And it's this big you know, monster that we all have to learn and do. So the next one is going to be Breakers by John Harper, who everybody would know from like Blades in the Dark and th that kind of fan. He made one called Breakers, which is basically a one-page RPG that I think is going to be super fun. And we're going to play that in the rest of February after this coming up Sunday. So it's going to be make some cool characters and have uh, uh, some really cool stuff. So that has been my super busy RPG week. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> oh, and I want to say one thing too. Uh, the other cool thing that happened is Indoor Adventures game got done just before ours did on Tuesday night. So we got a nice gigantic raid of people coming over and watching the stream on Tuesday night. So that was super fun. And thanks to Indoor Adventure for bringing his crew over. He's a guest host on our show once before. He's been a fan of the show. He got to play in one of our games. Then he started streaming because of that right after that. So he's kind of been tied into the Saturday morning show right from the beginning almost as not only a fan, but now a content provider and content creator himself. So it was cool, really cool to see his crew come over and uh, support the show. But what did Jordan do in role-playing games? I, I don't even know what I wrote down to talk about today. <laughs> I'm done. But <laughs> I, I feel this is this is dangerous um so but okay my players freed a marid from uh, a weird time loop vortex thing oh you're frozen are you there oh i'm here i see okay you. your there your video you? froze for some reason no. there you go now you're back okay. um so there was a uh there was a a catastrophe and they're in hot spring city um, and there was a, a Marid, a genie that was trapped in this like statue and my players got caught in a time loop. It was like a groundhog's day where they were repeating every, the same hour over and over and over. And they had to figure out like, well, how do we get out of this, um, time loop? And they ended up getting out of the time loop by destroying the statue that was holding this genie. So the genie is free now. And it says in the Hot Springs Island book uh, that the genie is so thankful to the point of wishes. And I think we lost the stream on... Uh, oh, did we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It says reconnecting down. Hold on. Give us a second. Stream buffer. Reconnecting. 
Wow, there's nothing, nothing different going on. Um, I'll give yeah. you a second. It's, it'll tell me when we're. It's all good. Okay, should be back right now. All right, I think we're back. Okay, so the 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 book says I'm going to give them wishes, or she is thankful to the point of wishes, and I'm like, do I really want to introduce a wish? to my players, but I've been telling myself that I'm like, I want to do, I want my game to, to be honest to, uh, the, the, what is it that I'm saying, uh, to the book. I want to do a faithful adaptation of this book. So I'm like, if that's what it is, it is. So long story short, my players have a wish that they can call upon at some point. And I'm not really sure. And I'm petrified because they can now do so much and they've already were like well can we use our wish to get out of our our bond with the martell company and i said uh that's probably not going to work so it was kind of like there are things that are above her magic uh but i don't know what do you think about wishes in games and did i have i screwed myself over and they're going to do something really powerful with it that i can't control and now all of a sudden this game is going to go off the rails not that it's a railroad game, but it's going to go completely gonzo. And I'm going to have to like, oh, you guys are in the nine hells now. And Jordan has to make up a whole campaign by himself because you've left Hot Springs Island. Yeah, wishes are tough. They scare me because... It scares um, me a lot, but yeah. I'm re they're really excited for it. So maybe it was the yeah. right thing for their perspective. But yeah. well, players always, yeah, players will OP anything when they can. And then to me, like, I think uh, for me, if I'm going to do a wish... I want to do it towards the beginning of my session and I want to force them to make the decision right then and there and get it done and over with versus, Hey, you guys have a wish at the end of the session. Now I want you to think for six days before we come back to our next session to go ahead and, yeah. you know, decide what they're going to, cause they're going to come back with some crazy crap. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is now I'm going to grant the wish, but how am I going to grant the wish? Am I going to do this yeah. in, in the dickery way where it's like, Oh, but you didn't say this. So guess what? You're, you're, uh, this happened to you. Like one of the things, like, uh, if the character was going to ask his God to bring back our paladin and we were taught, I was talking with the paladin. He says, yeah, you should do that where you grant his wish to bring back the paladin, but bring him back as a baby. Right. right. Or just, you know, screw him or undead. And, and yeah, like, he's back, but he, yeah. Like that, or are you going to try to honor, is this genie going to try to honor their wishes? I think she's very thankful and she's going to try and honor the wish, but she's still a genie. And so it is very like, well, if that's what you want, you know, I'm going to give it to you like as literal as possible. So right. um, we'll see. Without trying to wiggle out of it or without trying to kind of screw yeah. over kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it'll work out for them. But again, I mean, they could, I don't know what we wish for a holy avenger. And that's like a plus five Vorpal sword yeah. or something or, or what, you know, like a game changer. We wish for a wand of wishes or we wish. For, well, yeah, I don't think you know, I would something crazy. Uh, a couple of rules. You can't wish for more wishes, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Are those real rules? But we'll They're see. I, I have set her up to be not an all powerful being like ah. the, she can't kill people. She can't do some certain things that they might try to do. But they did look up basically the wish spell and they're just like, well, let's look it up. What can the wish spell do? And right now they're thinking we can get 25,000 gold from this wish spell. Like that's the maximum amount of gold you can get from the wish spell in the PHB. And they need gold to shrink their tattoos to pay off their debt to the Martell company. So it's, yeah, it's a possibility. 25,000 gold. Who knows? You know, <laughs> we'll see. 
but yeah, so that was the big thing that's happened. Um, I, you know, I have, um, not that I'm trying to plug my Patreon, but I have a Patreon. And if you support at a certain level, we have a, um, monthly hangout with some of those patrons. And so I was doing a a hangout, uh, a couple days ago with my patrons and I was telling them like, yeah, they've got this wish and I don't really know what's going to happen and it's going to be kind of crazy. And so they're like on the edge of their seats. They're just like, you have to fill us in what's happening because we're really curious what's going to go on with this wish. And I'm like, we know. So we'll, we'll see. But hot Springs Island is going really well. Um, they ended up finding, uh, this is another interesting thing about hot Springs Island is it's part of the sword coast or not sword coast Swordfish islands. So I think the writers of Hot Springs Island want to make other islands eventually. They want to write other books in this Swordfish Islands universe. Um, so they've yeah, yeah, so they've set stuff up such as uh, my players found a, a portal that an archway that when activated would lead them to another island on the Swordfish Islands. But there aren't other swordfish islands yet. And I was really surprised, but they figured out the puzzle and they activated it. And instantly um, the ranger was like, well, I jumped through and I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is what's happening um, now. And some of my players is it explained where the portal goes in the book. Oh, absolutely. Well, no, it just says it goes to another Island on the swordfish <laughs> Island. So I was just like, what do I do? I don't have another <laughs> Island. But um, Also with that, there's a protective bubble around Hot Springs Island that is preventing teleportation in and out. So um, I had them hit that bubble and get ricocheted back down to the island. And they're now in a random quadrant and they don't know where they are, um, which will be kind of fun. But it's things like that. This book really keeps me on my toes where I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about this. But um, it's... It's really interesting and fun. I, I'm loving this adventure so far. Um, and we'll see. My players are level six now, um, almost level seven. They're really enjoying everything about the island. Um, I like that it's minimal prep. Like I had to do a lot of prep and a lot of reading to understand all of the dy- dynamic, uh, the way the way NPCs were interacting with PCs and things like that. And just like, uh, oh, I can't use my words right now. The the different factions of the island and how they interact with each other. Um, but once you get that done, I do literally just sit down and I'm like, where were we last week? Oh, we were doing that. Let's continue. And I have to do very little prep for this campaign, which has been fun. So, yeah. So we've talked about that in the past. Like it's, it was a lot of campaign prep, but very little session yeah. prep, which was nice. So yeah, it takes that load off. And I'm reading maze of the blue Medusa right now, which is another campaign that is system neutral and it's very similar. Like there's a lot of reading up front, but once you actually start running it, I feel like you just sit down, open the book and you're like, where are you? Oh, you're in um, the reptile room. Number 174. Let's continue from where we left off. And you could place that right in your hot springs Island. Couldn't you? Oh, I could. Yeah, for sure. Like, cause the, the, how hot, how maze of the blue Medusa works is you find a painting. And then if you hang this painting in a certain room, uh, during a full moon it opens up and you can go inside the maze and you could like traverse and do all this stuff inside the maze of the blue medusa so that's definitely a possibility um what i'm thinking of doing though is i want to do more stuff 20 2019 i want to do more stuff on the internet and maybe like stream some more games and i really want to run maze of the blue medusa as a dungeon crawl classics game 
And oh, so yeah. uh, I might, because I've got a pretty good microphone set up here because my wife started a podcast, so we have a bunch of microphones now. And mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I'll run it with some friends, local friends, mm-hmm. and I'll record it and put it up on the Saturday morning D&D show or as a podcast or something. Um, so that's a possibility in the future of doing something like that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I need to finish reading Maze of the Blue Medusa and make sure it makes sense and kind of prep for it. I need to find some interesting people and decide if I'm going to run it at my table or if I'm going to run it online. But I think Maze of the Blue, Maze of the Blue Medusa, Dungeon Crawl Classics, it'll it'll scratch two itches with one, you know, hit two birds with one stone. So Yeah. And then we need a Kids on Bikes campaign from you. Uh, not a campaign, but I want to do another one shot. <laughs> uh, and if you guys are interested in Kids on Bikes, there is a great Kids on Bikes podcast out of Texas um, mm-hmm. that I'm listening to because I love the system. And they're doing a long run campaign with Kids on Bikes, and it's really interesting, and they do a really good job. Um, just search uh, Kids on Bikes podcast, and I think you'll find it um, cool. really awesome stuff. But that was... In a nutshell, what I'm thinking about Dungeons and Dragons and what's going on in Hot Springs Island. Like I said, my other my other gaming group, we are taking a break to play Betrayal Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and gaming tomorrow, uh, I know the Super Bowl is going on, but I checked with a lot of my players and they're just like, we don't care about the Super Bowl. I'm like, awesome. So let's play some D&D. So we're going to play D&D instead of uh, Super Bowl. Which that yeah. should be a fun themed game. You should have like a Super Bowl D and D game. Yeah, Blood Bowl. Yeah, Blood Bowl yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, medieval rugby of some mm-hmm. sort. Yeah, yeah. And then course. your players have to play be in it. Lots of people doing that. For oh sure. gosh, it would be awesome. <laughs> so, and you have a pig. Like you just carry around a big pig and you're running around. And, yeah. <laughs> It'd be just awesome. <laughs> so good. Yeah, and it's been a good week. Um, I think we're building towards having a good year. Uh, we were able to get our badges for Gen Con. I did my hotel. Did you finally get your hotel for Gen Con? I did. Um, I ended okay. up doing an Airbnb. Um, okay, so I did. went to Airbnb. I found a pretty good deal that's within like a, a mile walking distance of the convention center. So cool. I can either take a quick Uber or I can walk it. Um, and yep. So I've got, I, I have just, I have to buy my plane ticket now. That's the only thing that's right. left. So <laughs> Um, but Gen Con, I am definitely going to Gen Con. So if you guys are going to Gen Con and you want to meet me and Lucian, uh, do go to Gen Con and we will be there and you can hang out with us. Um, it'll be fun. So we'll have to figure out if we can do an actual Saturday morning D and D show from Gen Con. Cause I would like to try yes. that. Um, and maybe my Airbnb will have fancy internet and we can try and do it from there or something. So be cool. Bring our phones and, and we'll do a simple, we'll figure it out. But <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, that has been our show of the Saturday morning D&D show. Lots of really interesting stuff. Go check out Matt Colville's stream, uh, The Chain. It's really awesome and we really thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, as far as that, anything else before we go, Mr. Lucian? That is it. We can't wait to see you guys in the next one. Yep. We'll be here next. I'll be here next week. Uh, Lucian will not. Uh, so we'll figure out what's going on there. But uh, stay tuned for another episode next week of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Bye, everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.